Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, for the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. I was driving through Anza Borrego down the Salton Seaway Acatillo. Nothing fun. Some family business, just taking the scenic route back. My occasional reminder why I've landed up here in the high desert. Far from that grim border scene that just keeps growing upward and outward, a cancer by choice year after year, long before the current outrages, that militarized hell zone. Now, my dad, who has been gone a long time now, more than a quarter century, well, he used to have some wild stories. He grew up on the south side of Phoenix with his twin brother and their dad, who was a union steward at the Goodyear factory west of town. That's a suburb called Goodyear now, full of those enormous tract house boxes on a little sliver of gravel and concrete. They had come from a little coal company town called Wayland in eastern Kentucky, named after the coal company boss. How'd you like that, to live and die in a place named for your boss? You ever hear that song, 16 Tons, about wage labor coal miners who owe their life to the company store? The coal company did not just own your place of work, your employment, and all the mountain land they destroyed and polluted all around you. And your crappy little shack on the highway where the coal trucks and coal trains rumbled by all day and night. But they own the only store in town, too. And because it was starvation labor, the workers never had enough to buy food, shoes for their kids. All that 100% true Loretta Lynn stuff. So you do what's now called a payday loan, the same scam at large. You would go into debt at the coal company's especially grim version of a Dollar General. If you can imagine something more grim than a Dollar General, they owned you. They owned your life. They owned where you slept, what you eat. Now, my dad was just a little kid when he left there, but he hated it so much he never had any interest in going back. One time we went to visit his mother in West Virginia for Christmas. And he drove the Tennessee-Virginia route, absolutely no interest in driving through eastern Kentucky, ever seeing it again. And he never did.
Once he and his twin brother were old enough to drive and clever enough to hotwire a car around 12 or 13 or so, I think, they ran wild in Arizona. A very different Phoenix than what we know today of his Marty Robbins playing Mexican and native-inspired hillbilly boogie at a gas station that functioned as a drive-in bar on weekends. Marty would be up on a flatbed with the other musicians. 1950s on the south side of the tracks, the wrong side. My dad and his twin, they liked motorcycles. They had those wild bunch choppers all stripped down and the cops would always pull them over for not having rear view mirrors. Give them tickets, threaten their lives, the usual thing cops do to poor people. So being smart, Alex, the Lane brothers got some little dental mirrors from the medical supply store, tiny round chrome mirrors. And apparently the cops were baffled and furious about this clever little trick. Technically, the mirrors met the vehicular code. It was like that Robert Mitchum movie, Thunder Road, minus the moonshine. Although they probably did bring a lot of contraband back from Nogales, crosstops and the like. Maybe they ran bootleg tequila, who knows. From the stories I heard, they spent maybe every other weekend carousing in Nogales. Border crossing was a more casual affair back then. At some point, although nobody ever gave me the straight story on this, and I guess I'll never get any straight answers on this or another hundred topics, the choice was the military or juvie. That seems to be what happened for both of them. So one enlisted in the Air Force, one in the Navy. That's how most people end up enlisting. Blackmail of one sort or another. Oh sure, the waterheads on the... New York Times op-ed page are full of pro-military fascist glory from their mansions in Arlington and Chevy Chase and Foggy Bottom. But for the people they dump in the hot zone, it's almost always blackmail. Economic blackmail, primarily. Now, a bunch of guys on the base tonight are nodding along. They know the score. Keep your head down and try to get out alive. Try to get out with that piece of paper that'll let you maybe get a decent job somewhere. Maybe something with health insurance so you don't have to drag your carcass to the line outside at the VA hospital. Get in there and fight with the rats. If you want to be a military character, just be honest about it, like that George Washington. He just wanted real estate, and he did not mind killing for it. So he volunteered to survey the land of the Indian nations on the eastern seaboard and inland, murdered as many Native Americans as he could, and then sold their land to other Tory gentry in Virginia. Then when... His band of rich people rebelled against the mother country over taxes, of course. 
They stuffed Washington back into his Indian massacre uniform with his gut hanging out and the buttons popping off and his mouth clenched tight. Around the transplanted teeth he'd had ripped out of the mouths of the human beings he kept in bondage as his slaves. You didn't really believe that wooden teeth story, did you? And well, he was the most useless general you could get. He was good at beating and flogging the starving forced enlistment soldiers of the Continental Army and not too good at anything else. If it wasn't for the European war raging between an ascended France and a struggling England, well, who knows? Maybe we'd all have health care today. And maybe slavery would have ended, truly ended, 50 years earlier than it sort of halfway not really did after the victorious American war against the South. Anyway, crossing the border was a more casual affair in the 1950s. As it was even in my lifetime, if you lived on the U.S. side of Takati or Tijuana in the 1980s, You had favorite restaurants and bars and artisan shops that you went back to time and again. Now, way back then, I lived kind of halfway in the backcountry near Takati, so we'd dress up and go to Takati on Saturday night to dine in style at one of the famous Chinese restaurants there. Still a bunch there. Whatever Chinese cuisine you like, they probably got a place that specializes in it. And because it was Mexico, the food was so good and spicy as hell. All kinds of stuff you never saw in the American restaurants then. Especially in San Diego. At one point in the late 80s, I knew all these artists and journalists who lived in the cheap and fun and intellectually stimulating artist neighborhoods and the easy parts of TJ. I knew them mostly through my wife at the time, who covered the border arts scene for the college newspaper and the LA Times, and knew this group from her art classes at SDSU, where I managed to have a late-night radio show without ever enrolling in the college, which seemed like a waste of time. We'd have these wonderful nights every now and then, walking across the border from the trolley station and meeting up at some art gallery or concert space with all this heavy cultural stuff. And then you're at a neighborhood working class bar or restaurant, walking narrow streets, drinking and singing and laughing. Music in the cafes at night and revolution in the air. Guillermo Gomez Pena was one of the artists. Fernando Romero was one of the journalists running the Union Tribune Tijuana Bureau. And he was a jazz drummer, too. Had worked the strip clubs on Revolucion from the time he was just a kid. Gomez Pena did these wild performances wearing a Mexican wrestling mask, all very controversial in San Diego, which was and still is his Nixon suburb, ironically dropped on the Mexican border. Uh, He had very dramatically been married to U.S. artist Emily Hicks just off the shore of the international border, where the border fence went right into the surf like some Cristo installation. They divorced a year later, but what an art project.
Give me a give me a name and rank real quick. Hey there, this is Jason Woodbury. <laughs> My rank, I don't know. I'm a some sort of some sort of field marshal. I don't That's know. That's right. Uh, roving correspondent. Welcome back to Desert Oracle Radio. It's time for a segment that we started late last year with our friend Jason P. Woodbury in Phoenix, Arizona, from Aquarium Drunkard and Zia Records. It's called The Woodbury Files. It's where we talk about the musical culture of the desert southwest. Jason, welcome back to Desert Oracle Radio. Hey, Ken. It's always great to be here. Now, we talked a little while ago about our subject tonight. And let's just dive right in. Because when you say the name, people generally think of the desert. Well, the name is Giant Sand. We're going to talk about one of, I think, the strangest bands that the desert has ever produced. You know, out here in Arizona, Ken, I guess there's some sort of perceived rivalry between Phoenix and Tucson. You hear about it sometimes. But I guess in that case, I'm going to cross the battle lines today to talk about, I think, one one of the best groups that Arizona's ever produced, Tucson's own Giant Sand. They're one of the most vexing and sort of strangely beautiful, too. Uh, are you, I mean, you, you're you a, a deep music head, and you spent a lot of years playing music. Uh, when did you, I'm curious, when did you first hear Giant Sand, Ken? I first heard Giant Sand in the very early 90s, and I first saw them and met the group in Prague in 1991. 1991, 1992, early 1992, I believe, uh, at a place called Club Bunker, and I worked at the radio station there, Radio Yedna, the alternative station there in Prague, and they came in, and they filled the joint, and everybody knew all about them, and here I was, somebody who had even lived in Arizona myself and was from this area. And they were way ahead of me. I just knew a little bit about them, and they blew me away that night. Like a lot of Arizona, or sorry, rather, let me rephrase, like a lot of American acts, uh, they're pretty pretty fervently revered, you know, overseas versus, not to say that they don't, they don't do very good in Tucson, they do. Over there, there's a real appreciation for the kind of mix of American culture that a group like giant sand represents you know this i think was a listener request somebody had suggested that we d- we dig into to giant sand so i'm really glad to be able to do so i think i first heard them um, through a group that sort of spun out of giant sand the band calexico which was a a favorite of mine and i started kind of going back and that's the wild thing about giant sand is that all these groups have been in, you know, all these people in the band. It's an ever-evolving collective. And over the last couple decades, there have been members of Dream Syndicate, Green on Red, members of the Go-Go's. But the guy who's at the center of Giant Sand is Hal Gelb, you know, whose whole thing is this skewed, strange, desert-warped sensibility that really nobody else has a sound like him. He's got a very distinct voice, this kind of low rumble, and this sound that sort of refuses to ever solidify into just one thing. So you've got sort of Neil Young and Crazy Horse-style rock, 
and then you've got Paisley Underground, Psychedelia, and then Country, Jazz, Spaghetti Western, Soundscapes. They're really one of the one of the strangest and, and most exciting groups ever to come out of the desert. Yeah, yeah, and they play the kind of stuff that you can enjoy late at night by yourself, stony, country, twangy, heartbroken stuff, driving yeah. down a desert highway. I mean, it's just, it's, it's soundtrack stuff, you know? It's like whatever you're doing, it's made more beautiful and more cinematic by having giant sand on. Hanging by a thread, well, out on the road. Well, you got enough to hang ya But you know better to stand still Yeah, yeah, they've got a fascinating history, too. So the group was formed in Tucson. Originally, the name was Giant Sandworms. And they were named after the, speaking of the desert, of course, the, the spice-producing giant worms from Frank Herbert's space opera Dune. Haugel started Giant Sandworms after... A particularly adventurous acid experience. I asked him about this once. The beauty of being here in Arizona and occasionally getting down to Tucson, the beauty of that is that Howe is around all the time and he's always been willing to let me pester him about the band and its history and its sound. Talking with him is just wild. They actually got started pretty much right as punk was kicking off. The early stuff is very, very punk, but... What happened was, in the late 70s, when Gelb was, as he put it, prone to psychedelic experiences, he dropped a ton of acid and ended up staying up for three days. And at the end of these three days, he went to go see Roman Polanski's The Tenant at a little art house theater in Tucson called The Loft. The Loft is still around. You can go, you can go watch a movie there. Um, well, I think you can watch one online right now, but once this is all done, you'll be able to go back. I saw Repo Man there a few years ago. It's one of the all-time great desert art house theaters. He watched this Polanski movie, and it kind of sent his head reeling. So he wandered over to the Helen Street Cafe, which was this little place he hung out, and there was a guitarist on stage, this guy named Reiner, who would go on to his own career, but also was this guy that Howe formed giant sandworms with. And there was a piano on stage, and Reiner's up there playing guitar, this kind of slide guitar, steel. He had a bunch of famous fans. You might remember that compilation that they put out in the 90s that featured uh, Robert Plant and ZZ Top. Reiner's up on stage, and Howe gets up on stage coming off of this acid trip and starts playing with him on the piano. And he wasn't very good at piano, but he, he could muddle around in the key of G. So they did that for a few hours. By the end of that, Howe had decided that Giant Sand was a thing. They kind of started working and they did an EP and eventually they dropped the worms from the name. So it just became Giant Sand. And they put out their, their first record called Valley of Rain, which has this strange, like you said, eerie desert nighttime quality to it, but then it's also got a lot of real punk energy. So that was that was how things started, and in the years that have gone on since, 
the the lineup has shifted and morphed and it's featured people from all over the world. This record that a lot of people got on board with, and I don't know if this is around when you got on board, but in the early 90s, they signed to a major label, the Imago record. They put out a record called Glum, which is a really, really good album. Right. Um, that was like their grunge era hit, right? Yeah, that was the time where everybody at all the major labels decided, oh, we got to start signing these punk bands, these underground bands. Sure. Maybe we'll get another, we'll get get another some, Nirvana. We need some meat puppets, and we need some giant sand, and some Dinosaur Ooh. Jr. Yeah, who didn't get signed? I mean, the, the butthole surfers got signed to a major label contract. Just about everybody who had been kicking around in this weird American DIY independent punk thing got signed. So Glum is a great record. I really, really enjoy that one. And and their, their 90s records are great. But for me, I, I really get into it in the early 2000s after they signed a thrill jockey. And like I said, the Calexico thing, Joey Burns and John Convertino were these two guys who got their start in Giant Sand. And that's actually one of the most interesting things about Giant Sand is that the players who got their start there and then went off to go do their own thing is insane as well. You got these guys, there's a great band down in Tucson called Zika and there's a drummer Winston Wallace who played with Patti Smith and Bob Dylan. So there's all these people who kind of get their start in Giant Sand. It's like an incubator for weird, uh, eccentric talent. But in the 2000s, they put out my favorite record of theirs. It's called Chore of Enchantment. In addition to having a great desert name, was produced by PJ Harvey associate John Parrish and, and Jim Dickinson from Memphis, one of the all-time great American record producers sure. who, who must have saw in How Geld the same wild streak that he saw in people like Alex Shilton, or Screaming Jay Hawkins, Tab Falco, The Replacements. So that's the thing about Giant Sand is that they have a real connection to that side of things, the the American rock underground. But then they've got this strange spaciness that you alluded to that just really cements things. And that carries over through all of House stuff. He's got solo records, he's got side projects like Arizona Amp and Alternator and the band of Blackie Ranchette. At one point, he, he in about 2012, he decided that Giant Sand had outgrown itself and that it needed to become Giant Giant Sand. So, uh, so how added an extra giant to the name and they released a record at this point with a bunch of great people phoenix vocalist named lana kelly whose work is great she's in a great indie dream pop band called sheree sheree i advise everybody to go check check out her stuff but they put out this thing in 2012 called tucson a country rock opera which was sort of centered on the idea of being in tucson and sort of escaping the place that you come from but then being drawn back. So there's all these hilarious lyrics, you know, good luck suckers is the name, is like sort of a, a, a phrase that carries all through the record. But it's just that same weird, wild, diverse set of things happening on the record where it rocks one second and then it's spooky the next and then it's kind of drifting and, and melodic. In 2016 though, he decided that, that Giant Sand was done. In being how with this strange sensibility, 
he decided he would announce it by saying that I, I kind of quit, I think is what he put it. You know, I think I kind of quit. He, I guess he couldn't stay away because the, the band came right back to life in 2018. And they released their most recent record, which brings us full circle. It's called Returns to Valley of Rain. And it was Howe and all of his awesome musicians just completely reimagining the first record, Valley of Rain. And it's as punk and noisy and loud as anything he's ever done. So the thing about him is that he's just this man of extremes. And I think that's something that maybe feels very uniquely Arizonan. But Howe is a, is a strange dude. He's prone to speaking in riddles. And Giant Sand is, uh, to my mind, one of the most exciting things that the desert rock scenes you know, ever produce. and across the great Mojave wilderness. This has been Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host, Ken Lane. Some sounds tonight from our own red, blue, black, silver. Plus some of giant sand. Check them out on Spotify or whatever. Maybe buy a real record. Our theme song, this one I'm talking over, is by Pierre Langer. We broadcast from Joshua Tree on Friday nights locally from KCDZ 107.7 FM. Streaming on the internet if you're out of range or better yet, get yourself in range. Get a home on the range. Be a holy ranger. You can get the Desert Oracle podcast through all the usual outlets. We got a hundred episodes now. We got a Patreon set up as well. It's how we pay the bills, and we're lucky to have a way. Lucky to have all of you. Join the few and the proud on Patreon.com, Desert Oracle, or just check out our website at DesertOracle.com. We are not taking a summer break this year, as should be obvious from the fact that we just keep on ticking over here in the Desert Oracle radio studio, but I promise myself that after episode number 100... I would give myself a two-week break, not for vacation, not quite yet, but to finish the new Desert Oracle periodical, the pocket-sized newspaper of the Desert Southwest, making some changes, and the biggest change is we're trying to get back on the quarterly schedule, so if your subscription lapsed, now's a good time to re-up, as they say, before I send the subscriber list to the printer in about a week. So they can ship those suckers out. Hang in there these next two weeks. Let me get my green eye shade on my head. Get over to the editing desk and wrap up this issue. Because we were born upside down, born the wrong way around. This is episode number 99 and the 100th episode was last week. But it'll all work out. We do appreciate you making the time to spend with us on Friday nights or whenever you listen. Good night from the Voice of the Desert. Desert.